3: Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from
4: TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, the assistant editor of The Mirror, Darren Lewis, and TalkSport's European football man, Kevin Hatchard, as Everton drop into dangerous territory.
3: Henderson on the edge of the area, lifted back into the Everton box, scissor kick from Luis Diaz, and headed in by Zivok Origi. He loves playing Everton!
4: Despite the defeat, Frank's fighters showed a bit of heart, but Burnley beating Wolves has not helped their cause. The nervy relegation run-in just got a whole lot more alarming. Ring that bell, Chelsea will surely now finish in third, but they needed a little bit of help from a superhero after Jorginho's jig. United in name only, Arsenal, a real team, and Newcastle absolutely smashing it. A rubbish VAR calls, brilliant subs, um, a tattle race to behold, and Jesus turns Watford into whiners. It's all on the best Premier League review of the weekend. It's the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport.
2: This is Game Day.
4: Hey, hey, Kevin Hatchard and Darren Lewis, how are you?
2: I'm good. Thank you. I'm doing Diego Simeone today. No tie, no jacket, but the black shirt is getting busted out for this evening.
4: Very impressed. Uh,
3: Kevin, what was the highlight of the week for you? Uh, Divock Origi for me, uh, remarkable how he keeps scoring these big goals in big games for Liverpool, even though he barely plays any football over the course of the season. So I was very pleased for him. Uh, Yes, I I did forget that I'm in the
4: middle of a a Liverpool sandwich tonight with you two. I have to be a little bit careful about that. So any of the severe criticism that's coming Frank Lampard's way, remember that, (laughs) listener. That's the motivation (laughs) behind these two. Uh, Darren, what have you been up to? What have you been doing?
2: I've been at Stamford Bridge, but I did try a rare experiment um, because I tried to listen to your show with Perry Groves, the Sunday exclusive. The Sunday uh, session, yeah. The Sunday session. uh, And um, I did love your Burnley line. So I wonder if you just give it to us again when they scored that really crucial goal to take the lead against Wolves.
4: It was nothing big or clever. I just said, uh, what what was I saying? I said, uh, oh, um, there are goals. There are big goals. And then there's this goal. (laughs) I was very excited about it. I think Burnley should be very excited about it because actually that sort of set the tone uh, for the rest of the day, really, didn't it? And put uh, Everton uh, under real pressure. My highlight of the week was standing in the tunnel after the game between Manchester United and Arsenal at the Emirates Stadium. And Scott McTominay was sort of lurking around having done and just about to do an interview. And he did an interview with an international broadcaster. And you know what it's like when you're in radio, right? they put you in that the little cheap seats around the back of the tunnel. So there's loads of these little cabins where they do the interviews, but we were we were just behind a cloth. So we could hear the interviews that were going on next to us. And the interview that was going on next to us was Scott McTominay losing the plot, letting it all out, telling home truths, giving his ultimate verdict on how bad Manchester United are and have been over the course of the last few months and weeks. Um, but you know what it's like when you get really frustrated and you and, and you're going to swear. You can't help yourself. You're going to swear because that's the only way you can articulate the point you're going to make. Darren, you, you know this well. Um, you, say, <laughs> you, say, you say, excuse my French. And then you say, but and bleep, 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 right? But poor old Scott, he seemed to get himself tangled. He just started effing and jeffing. And then went, yeah, uh, if, you, if you don't mind me swearing, at which point the interviewer went, oh, how did he do? No, Scott, you're supposed to do it the other way around. you're supposed to say is it okay if I swear and then do it and if they don't want you to you can say they can say no Uh, but I suppose Manchester United often get things back to front right we'll talk about them a little bit later but first the toffees are in a sticky patch Tonight we have heavyweight boxing live from Wembley. You won't get closer to the action anywhere else, but first we take you pitch side, where a defeat for Arsenal or Manchester United will be one hell of a sucker punch. Zaka tries to flick it against Moran, he does that, they want handball, they're not getting it. It comes to Zaka who shoots, what a goal from Xhaka. 25 yards out, he hammers it into the corner beyond David De Gea with a firecracker of an effort. Surely that's all three points for Arsenal now as their quest for Champions League
1: football gets another significant boost straight to Guimarães who digs it over the goalkeeper into the net it's a glorious finish it's an absolute catastrophe defensively for Norwich City playing like that they deserve to go
3: down They finished Leicester nil, Villa 0 an afternoon low on quality but Villa do end their four
1: game losing streak Manchester City 5 Watford 1 and it's Gabriel Jesus yet again with his fourth goal of the afternoon he started the build up play played it out to his right hand side and Kevin De Bruyne just pulled the ball back to the penalty area and side foot of the ball into the back
0: of the net.
4: And the full-time whistle goes, it's a goalless draw in the London derby and Spurs have dropped two precious points in the race for
1: a top four place. Their North London rivals Arsenal now sit two points
3: above them in the table with five games to play.
4: Let's start with the Merseyside derby and defeat for Everton. 2-0 to Liverpool, it means for the first time since August to November 1948. Yes, 1948. Everton have lost eight consecutive away matches in all competitions. And And the story was here because of what else happened on Sunday, notably Burnley winning their home match against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Is Everton, because of this, in serious danger of relegation after 68 straight seasons in the top flight, Darren?
2: Yes, in a word. I think they were spirited for an hour, but they can't stop conceding goals. Uh, They don't score enough goals. And I think morale at the club is very low. Lots of us have been doing all through this season, looking at fixtures and seeing what they could win, what they might not win. And 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 we've we've all seen enough football not to play this game on paper because you never, particularly at this stage of the season, know where the points are going to come from. But the facts are that when you look at the Everton team, there are not enough. There is not enough organization in that back line. They could squeak games one nil. If They were organized, they could squeak games 1-0. If there was a little bit of know-how about that side, but at the moment, they're too loose, they're too shambolic, and I think they'll go down.
4: I do you know, I, I thought it was fractious, it was naughty, it was dirty, it was spicy, it was at times malevolent, but at least it was. Competitive. And I must admit, before the game, I didn't think it was going to be competitive. Jamie Carragher afterwards, ripping into Everton, scathing. He said the Everton players have been cheating their manager and their fans all season to put in a performance as good as that against one of the best teams in the world at the moment at one of the hardest places to play football. They made it so difficult for Liverpool. They had a real fight today. They need to look at themselves because this was nowhere near what they do on a week-to-week basis. Was there enough in that performance, Kevin, do you think, to give Everton fans hope that they can compete to the end of the season or will they do what they usually do,
3: revert back to time next week? I think that's the key, Sam. I think if they can maintain that kind of performance, that kind of solidity then maybe they're in with the shot. I thought they were very well organised for the first hour. Liverpool had to make changes and it shows again the depth of quality that Liverpool have at their disposal. I thought they were a threat on the counter. thought when he wasn't going to ground too easily, Anthony Gordon played very well. I thought he caused a real problem for Trent Alexander-Arnold and I was a little surprised that he didn't continue to make that impact and he got switched at one, at one stage that didn't really help. But I thought they played really well for that hour. But Liverpool's pressure is always going to break you in the end. And maybe when chances came along, they could have taken them a bit more clinically. But in general, as long as they can play with that heart and that desire, they can certainly take something from it. Now, you know me. I, I want Frank Lampard to succeed. I'm desperate for
4: Frank Lampard to succeed. I was going through the stats prior to the game. And ahead of his first game in charge in the Premier League against Newcastle on February the 8th, Everton was 16th in the Premier League. They're four points above the relegation places with games in hand in all of the sides around them, barring bottom place Burnley at the time. They're currently 18th. They're two points behind Burnley with one game in hand. Their goals per game are lower. Their shots are lower. Their XG is lower. Their touches in the opposition box are lower. They run more, they tackle better, they have more of the ball, but they're still losing. Now, what can be done? How much responsibility can he bear? Because he hasn't got any luck either, has he? Mina doesn't play again today. Godfrey's injured in the warm-up, they have to make a late change. All those plans that they've been working on over the course of the last 48, 56 hours go out of the window because someone gets uh, injured just prior to kick-off. How much is it down to him and how much is it a wider malaise in the football club that has caused this
2: problem? I don't think it's down to Frank Lampard. I think that Everton right now are reaping the whirlwind. Uh, They are a club that thought that they could play to the gallery with celebrity signings, but there was no real cohesion or strategy about their recruitment policy. I think they've got a lot of players who individually are half-decent but as a team are not committed to what the club want to do. If you compare their resources with some clubs far higher up the table, they don't have as many, but there is a lack of heart within the side. And I, I, I take on board what you were saying, Kevin, about uh, there was an organisation about Everton for an hour today, but that's, a, that's the problem. There organisation about the side for, say, one half or for 80 minutes or for 58 minutes, as there was when they played West Ham, then they concede. There is always a lapse in concentration in every game that West Ham play. And they were lucky to get the points against Man United because they've down tools on their manager. But all the other games that they've played, they've been found wanting at the back. And I think it's about personal responsibility for individual players at that football club. I don't necessarily believe that you can lay that blame at Frank Lampard's door because he can set them up. He can get them focused he can give them a plan but if they don't follow that plan how can you blame him for that but there was so much in that performance that
4: frank lampard could take from it and bearing in mind they were dealing with the pressure of the burnley result just prior to it i mean it's going to work one or two ways isn't it? it's either going to be so dispirited oh we conceded the goal in the end after literally defending for our lives for an hour and that's going to have a dispiriting effect and it's going to make them cascade into into trouble or it's going to galvanise them. They think, well, we, we, we can compete with Liverpool here. So if we can compete with Liverpool, we can,
2: we can compete with anyone. But you compete with Liverpool if you, if you take a point or you win. You don't compete with Liverpool if you play half-decent for an hour and then concede two goals. Where are they going to take these positives? They've got, what, six games left. All of those games are going to be tough for them if they can't get organised and if they continue to give opposition team chances. That's why I'm so pessimistic about them. Mike Jackson's had a short spell in time in charge of, of Burnley. They've bought immediately into what he's trying to do because there are good players there. There are committed players there. I look at the Everton side, there are some committed players, but there are lots of players there, let's not kid ourselves, who went there for the money. And when it now comes down to showing the heart to save the club, half that team can do it, but the other half, I'm not so sure. I I do think think this is
3: big for Frank Lampard, though, because I think he did an adequate job at Chelsea, but not a sensational job. I think, you know, people made out that the transfer ban was some incredible handicap. He had amazing players at his disposal. And yes, he brought through some of the youngsters great, but they qualified for the Champions League, not particularly impressively. And I think you just got the feeling that defensively he couldn't set the team up. And they're having similar problems now with him at Everton. And I do think if he's going to convince people in football that he is a credible coach at the top level in the long term, he has to find a solution to this because if he is the coach that takes Everton down, that's a stain on his reputation that will stay for a long time. So this is as big for him, if not bigger, than that squad of players. You know and I know if he ends up
4: taking Everton down, he never recovers from that. No one ever will because ultimately the first coach in half over half a century to take Everton into the second tier, that stigma is not going to be shaken off very easily at all. And I I don't want that to happen to him. This is a guy who actually, you know, I know you say did an adequate job at Chelsea, but actually in the circumstance, I thought he did quite a good job. And Chelsea are reaping the benefits of some of those uh, youngsters experiences under Frank Lampard now, I think. Uh, and remember, six months, less than six or four months after he left the club, they won the Champions League uh, in Porto against Manchester City. So it wasn't all bad under Frank Lampard and certainly needs a little bit of credit. You mentioned, I mean, we've got to mention Liverpool and we'll say well done to them because again, they've they've got the job done and they've got, I mean, it's just a victory for squad game, isn't it? I mean, and the intelligence of the manager to make the changes at the right time. Everton were giving them a problem. They switched it up. They changed it. The players that came on made an impact. And obviously they got themselves into a situation where all three points were secured. They're going toe to toe with uh, Manchester City. Obviously, that is a big story. We will talk about Manchester City a little bit later on. Uh, Let's move to that Burnley game then, right? Because we all thought, I think we all thought, I think there's many people who sat there and thought, Sean Dice, sack him. That's a good idea. Everybody... Bearing in mind that Burnley seemingly had zero plan in place to replace him, not even in appointing a proper interim manager, they just promoted the other 23 coaches to just take it for a couple of days. Maybe they've stumbled upon something under Michael Jackson because they have looked more front-footed, they've looked more aggressive, more assertive, and looked like the handbrake has been released. Was that all that needed to be done after all? I mean, listen, the game against Wolves, you could tell after 10 minutes they were going to win. They weren't brilliant. They're not a brilliant team. But they wanted it more. Darren?
2: Yeah, they did appear to want it more. That's now seven points they've taken from three games under Mike Jackson. And they seem to be playing with a bit more freedom, it has to be said. I mean, listen, I still am not going to take these seven points as a, a way of maybe playing down the job that Dice did because he kept them safe. And when you don't have a lot of resources, you do whatever you can. And he did. And he kept them competitive. He kept them in the Premier League football is a very ruthless industry all of us know this and everyone listening to this knows that you can be the, the the big cheese one minute somebody comes in replaces you builds on your work and suddenly everyone forgets what you did and they start to go with the new guy in town but I think that the job that Daish did has laid the foundations for what Mike Jackson's doing right now and I have to say well, listen it's not rocket science at all the momentum now appears to be with Burnley
4: uh, look, they tweaked it at half-time. Mike Jackson tweeted it, uh, tweaked it at half-time. Uh, they got a good goal, Dwight McNeil to Veghorst, who centred for Mate Vidra, and that was a big call, putting Vidra in for the first time in, in a while. And um, they changed the system as well, went to a 4-3-3. There were a few nervy moments towards the end. Ashley Barnes saw a goal ruled out after kicking the ball out of Jose Saar's hands, and then in stoppage time, Huang uh, got... Uh, Uh, a volley on goal and they were trying to run the clock down and Pope had to deny him with a decent save. But ultimately, when you are in a situation where you need points at that end of the table, winning back-to-back home games is a massive, massive boost. And it can actually, you know, turn you into almost an invincible group. And I go back to Leicester 2014-15, the year before they won the title, They were down, out, finished. They put together this terrific run at the end of the campaign and that galvanised them going to the season. Now, before anybody is thinking that I'm suggesting Burnley will win the league next year, of course I'm not. But the momentum is a key thing in football, isn't it? And and Burnley seem to have it at the moment.
3: Yeah, and I think the fixtures have fallen in a nice way for them. I think to get Southampton... And then to get Wolves, teams that, I mean, certainly Wolves now certainly look on the fringes of Europe, if not out of it entirely. So I think that has helped. And sometimes it's just a new voice. And I don't think hailing what Mike Jackson has done, or Michael Jackson, depending on which way you go, uh, hailing what he's done doesn't take anything away from Sean Dyche. That was a decade of excellence from him, uh, the way that he's established that football club at Premier League level. There wasn't enough investment in the squad Uh, I think that's plain to see, and he worked wonders. But especially when you've got a coach that's quite defensive, I think sometimes a new voice with a slightly new way of doing things can give players a short-term boost. The key now is can they take that momentum through to the end of the season? Because that's what they're going to have to do if they're going to stay up.
4: back it towards the far corner, zapped in by Nuno Tavares after a save by David De Gea and Manchester United have conceded. Inside three minutes at the Emirates Stadium! And then he gets it back, now Enketia's inside the area, stopped by David De Gea! Helped on towards Enketia. he's still free, pops it in, that one will count! They are checking a possible offside here. It is offside, the uh, VAR suggesting that it is offside, yeah. I think now they'll check for the possible penalty in the build-up to it. He's going over now, Craig Pawson, to check the monitor. It's a penalty! Saka for 2-0, a little run up, left foot, he drives it into the corner, two penalties in two games for Bukayo Saka. Sancho moves towards the edge of the penalty area, lovely little trick to get beyond Cedric and then gives it back to Matic who swings it into the area and it's tapped in at the far post by Ronaldo. Ball delivered by Fernandes towards McTominay, oh did it come off a hand that? I think it did, it's a penalty and the referee had no hesitation at all at declaring Tavares had used his arm to block the ball back across the face of goal. Fernandez takes in a sharp intake of breath, a straight run up, then he curves it, then stutters, right-footed and hits the post! Here's Ronaldo, edge of the area, setting up Diego Dallo, who hits the post! Comes to Xhaka who shoots, what a goal from Xhaka! 25 yards out, he hammers it into the corner! Manchester United beaten at the Emirates, Arsenal 3, Manchester United 1. Not over, not over, not over, not over,
1: yeah.
4: Just when Manchester United thought it couldn't get any worse for Ralph Ranick, they started this game with a series of errors that led to them being 2 0 down within half an hour. In truth, there was a lot in this game uh, in which they were in charge. for for most of, actually, you know, they were on top. They were probably the most dominant force between the second Arsenal goal going in and Arsenal getting a third. But the game hinged on a moment, one moment. Bruno Fernandes electing to take a penalty ahead of Cristiano Ronaldo. What are you doing? He missed it. In fact, he had a terrible day all round. He could have been sent off. He had a role in Xhaka's goal as well. It... It was not a great idea to take the penalty off Ronaldo, although there are conflicting reports as to why that happened. When I spoke to Ralph Ranick, he wasn't sure as to why the ball had been handed to uh, Bruno Fernandes. But if you're going to take it, you have
2: to score, Darren. You know my views on, on that kind of thing. If you if you big yourself up enough to take the ball off somebody who's preparing to take the spot kick, no excuses, don't want to hear it, you have to score. And I, I think his penalty, Jorginho's penalty for Chelsea on Sunday afternoon, I think goalkeepers are starting to suss this kind of thing out. And I think that they're going to have to rethink it because both penalties were just ridiculous. I think in terms of Fernandes... When he came to United, he was outstanding, as we all know, for a year and a half. That's kind of melted away into some really ridiculous performances from him. And he is a player crying out for somebody to get hold of him and get him back to the player he used to be. I'm not going to sit here and say that he's a bad player or that he's dragging United down. But I think we could all see that when Rangnick took him off, he was saving him from himself because there were silly Hollywood balls. There was petulance. There was it was just a... A really immature performance from a player who's capable of far, far more. And I think his slump right now is symbolic of the general malaise at United. He's been sucked into that, but there is a really good player there. And hopefully the new manager will be able to get that out of him. And
4: Kevin, the, the thing is, is that one of my questions tonight, I, I'd written it down, was you know, why has it gone so wrong for him? He scored 28 goals last season. He's only got nine this. But Darren sort of answered it really, isn't it? The fact is, it is, there's so many players you can ask that question of. Why has it gone wrong for him? Why hasn't it worked for Sancho? What's happened to Varam? Why hasn't he developed into the player that we expect him to be, the man who won so many trophies at, at Real Madrid? Why has that character not turned up at Manchester United? What's happened to Luke Shaw? Why is he so good for England? Maguire, why is he so good for England, not for, for Manchester United? There's so many of those players that you can ask that question about. The answer is obvious. The whole club is in a funk that somebody needs to drag them out of. It's not an easy task, is it? I mean, if you, no. if you, if you were Eric Ten Hag's agent, I mean, apart from the fact that he, he he's getting paid very, very well to do it, there's not much upside,
3: is there? I think there is. I think there's the opportunity to work out one of the world's biggest football clubs. The problem he's got is that he will only be able to do so much unless the rest of it is sorted out. And I yeah. think... Ralf Rangnick, if he's done anything at the football club, is that he's shone a light on the real problems there. Because Oleg and Solskjaer, whether you liked him as a coach, disliked him as a coach, thought he was any good, he was effectively a guy who was relentlessly positive about the club itself. Rangnick is much more realistic. And I think it's interesting that he's talked about attitude. He's talked about structure. He's talked about a club that needs open heart surgery and not just a few tweaks here and there. And he's effectively saying, look, these players are not working hard enough. They're not willing to work hand in hand with a coach. I mean, you can see that with the fact that Rangnick's way of playing has not been implemented at all. I mean, it's the polar opposite. He wants to win the ball back quickly and he wants to attack with pace and he wants to play this kind of vertical, fast-paced style. We've seen none of that. And one of the main reasons is the players are either unable to assimilate the information that he's giving them or unwilling to do that. David and- Walsh wrote this brilliant column in the Sunday Times at the
4: weekend in which he said, you know, Rannick says this anecdote about Manchester United needing open heart surgery. Actually, the, the biggest surprise of all would be if the surgeon opened them up and found a heart because they, <laughs> don't, they, they don't appear to have any. Um, I mean, there's a, bit, a lot of work to be done in the recruitment department I was looking at some of the uh, contracts that are coming to an end, people who may well move on. Pogba obviously is going now. Lingard's got to go. Cavani's got to go. Matt has got to go. Phil Jones has got to be moved on. He should have gone two or three transfer windows ago. Dean Henderson has probably got to go for his own good now. Eric Bailly has got to go. Martial, surplus to requirements. Van der Beek already out on loan. Brandon Williams already out on loan. Then there's Rashford. How do you solve that problem? Ronaldo, do you keep him for another year? The recruitment department has got to do so, so much. But it's got to be better than it has been recently. When you think that they've spent £180
2: million on centre backs and they're still this bad, Darren. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been said many times that United are almost a Frankenstein. Uh, hybrid of different managers' philosophies. And when you look at the squad, you can see that. But you're right in saying that there are lots of players at the club who also have been hiding, players who could have gone out and had first-team football elsewhere, had to do a bit of work. But it's an easy gig at United. You're in a good, fat contract. You sit it out, even though you play a handful of games every season. And I think Ten Hag has to do what Conte did when he went to Spurs draw up a list of players that he wants to keep. The rest, get rid of them. The fascinating thing about me is the players that have allowed their contracts to run down, because if you're at one of the biggest clubs in the world, surely you do whatever you can to force your way into the thinking of the man in charge. And if you can't get that, then you demand to leave because you have your personal pride as a footballer that you want to go elsewhere and play. I think the biggest problem at United right now... For me, is that they took the easy option in getting Rangnick instead of making a, a change last year. Well, when uh, Solskjaer was sacked, they could have got a Conti. I, I still to this day refuse to believe the myth that Conti was too combustible. There are specific reasons. I'm sure Kevin, you will be able to outline them as well why he left his other clubs. I think there were people at United who didn't want. The scared of him. They didn't want them. him. They're scared Absolutely. of him. That's the
4: truth. Absolutely. And we said it to you at the beginning, right at the very time that this was all in the in, in, in the rumor mill, and everyone was talking about it's an obvious choice for him to replace Solskjaer, get Conte in. The reason they were never going to do it is because he would demand, he would force, he would push, he would make them see the problems. He would he would force them into spending money where they don't want to spend money. Yep. He would make yep. them make decisions they don't want to make get rid of this guy, get rid of that guy. They're even making it difficult for Eric Ten Hag to bring some of his staff with him. He wants to bring McLaren and, and another guy, Van Haag, uh, in as an assistant. They made that process difficult. They want to keep some of the existing medical staff when he wants to bring his own. There's there's, there's so much that needs to be worked out. And, and Sam, Manchester this is United the thing. People will tell you, no, that's not the case. We're making it very easy for him. We're bringing him. And there'll be people that ring me up and tell me, oh, no, that information is not right or whatever. But there's clearly no defined, almost like nod to this guy and and, and and do what you want. Because if they if they were going to put their faith in someone who's absolutely elite, it wouldn't be Eric Ten Hag because he's never proved that. It would be Antonio Conte, but they can't do that because then they'd have to relinquish so much control. And then think about the Rangnick
3: situation. The Rangnick situation sums up the muddle thinking at the football club. You've got a guy there that is a project guy and has been largely a football administrator. So here's a guy that took Hoffenheim up the leagues, took them into the Bundesliga. I know that's a smaller scale, but he still showed that he could do it. With Red Bull, he did even more. It wasn't just about Leipzig. He set a template for an entire group of clubs. This is how we're going to do nutrition. This is how we're going to do recruitment. This is how we're going to have the facilities they have the opportunity to truly tap into all of that knowledge and all of that experience. Instead, they did this weird bodge job of getting him in as coach. He admits himself he was barely involved in Ten Hag's recruitment and they wanted him to concentrate on coaching the club. Why? Why did they keep him out of that? Why did they bring him in anyway? They had this weird consultancy deal that we still don't know what that's really about. And he doesn't know That's going go to go the the that is. That's, that, that's not going to happen, I'm afraid. It's um, utterly ridiculous. And they're in danger, Sam, of becoming the English Paris Saint-Germain because you have players there who have too much power. And there's, what is coming is a really important moment for that football club when Ten Hag says... To the people who run the club, I want to get rid of X, Y, Z. And the players need to have the knowledge that if I say they go, they go. If he loses that battle in the way that Unai Emery lost it at PSG, then we really know who has the power at that football club. And I think they're doomed to the same cycle as Paris Saint-Germain, except Paris win things and United won't. OK, let's talk about Arsenal because they obviously have put together back-to-back results against
4: Chelsea and against Manchester United without being particularly brilliant, but being a team. That's one thing you've got to credit Ayarteta with, is that he's built sort of a group of of unified bodies that that want to work for him. And and no one sort of typifies that more for me than Nuno Tavares, who he dragged off after 35 minutes against Nottingham Forest in an FA Cup. And I spoke to Nuno after the game and I said to him, like, how, how, how have you got, because he scored his first goal... He walked into the, the interview room, and I thought, "How am I going to what am I going to speak to him about?" Because actually, he ain't played particularly well. He's given away a penalty. He's he's he's, he's supposed to be playing at left back, and he's been playing almost as a centre forward for most of the game. He's left more space in behind him uh, than uh, than you would do for a, for, for a Volvo XO XC90 in a car parking space for but the, the whole. Of the cars are game. available. <laughs>
2: what, what what
4: what am I going to say to him anyway? What I did say to him was, "How have you? How did you react to that substitution against Nottingham Forest?" What have you done to get your mind right to come back from that and then be part of this team that is now probably favourites to reach the top four? And he said, I had to change my mind. Mikel Arteta made me change my mind. He understands us. He talks to us when we're sad. He can spot when we've got a problem. He can come to us and and, and sense that when there's an issue and he will help us solve it. And there's, there is some sort of like cult of Mikel that he's built at Arsenal, which not only is sort of being bought into by the players but the supporters as well because even when there were times in that game where they were second best to Manchester United who are not very good they the fans stuck with them they stuck behind them they they, they were they didn't get that nervous energy that's which they have been famous for in the past
2: i think at Arsenal there is this mantra trust the process and for long periods of time uh, well, it's been very binary. When they win, lots of people do trust the process. When they lose, they don't, quite simply. <laughs> but it's very clear that... Do you Michael trust Arteta... the process, Darren, do you? Well, actually, I. funnily enough, I do, because when you look well, at you what didn't. he's done... You didn't, know, did you? You were like well, me, no, you did a bit because... skeptical, and
4: now you're starting to believe, aren't you? We... Uh, I mean, he's brainwashing us. We're, go- tell we're you going, why. going to end up walking around going, in Arteta, we trust. We're going to have T-shirts we trust the process on by the end of the season. <laughs> I'll
2: tell you Why? Because when when he loses, he doesn't really deviate from what his plan is. And it's very similar to the plan that Pochettino had when he was at Spurs. He got rid of the older players. He only wanted to work with the younger ones and selected older ones. It's the reason why all these people deriding Pochettino's work at Paris Saint-Germain and thinking he's a bad manager because of it don't actually understand him. The newer breed of managers, or the, the relatively younger managers, they want to work with younger players who buy into what they're trying to do, who want to work hard, who want to roll up their sleeves. and. I think, to a large extent, Arteta's made his own luck with these players because he believes in them, they will get better, they will make mistakes. A little bit like the, the Ajax, when when they develop players and they stick with them when they go through their troughs. But here in England, we're very impatient and we, we kind of lose heart with managers when players go through the kind of cycle... He's not here. He's not, he's not here. I'm going he's, to. He's,
4: stop, stop to go up crook. He's not here. He can't hear you.
2: <laughs> All I will say is this. I think as far as Arsenal are concerned, regardless of where they finish, Arteta's earned the right for people to trust him because he's reshaped that side in the last two and a half years and they will get better. And I think they're maybe two strikers away from being a seriously good side.
4: Um, listen, their arch rivals are Tottenham Hotspur and their they're arch rivals for the top four as well, Kevin. I don't know how much you saw of the Brentford-Tottenham game, but if you only saw the highlights... Lucky you, because I sat and watched 90 minutes of that football match, and that is 90 minutes I will never, ever get back again. There was zero to love about that game, apart from possibly the fact that uh, Brentford came up with this corner where Ivan Tony managed to uh, get free three times in a row in, in in one half. And nobody noticed this six foot, four inch guy
3: peeling off at the back post. I think in the grand scheme of things, it's not too bad a result for Spurs, but I agree with you, Sam. I thought they were really poor going forward, offered very little, took them so long to get into the game. And I think that that's a concern for Tottenham. I think the general direction of travel is good. I think they have improved under Conte. I think all of the stats will tell you that. The, The results will tell you that. The performances, the eye test, will tell you that. But now they've got to find consistency. And I think... You know, they've looked flat in attack. And that's strange when you bear in mind the attacking quality they have. It's quite odd to have had the Brighton game and to have this Brentford game where they didn't really threaten at all. So uh, I still believe Tottenham are, are, are in this. There's no question about that. I think they're pretty much neck and neck with Arsenal. And I think you'd look at the amount of time it's taken for Arteta to get Arsenal to where they are. And the amount of time it's taken for Antonio Conte to get Tottenham to where they are. And I think that that pace of change has been quicker at Spurs. So oh, I definitely. still think it's going to go down to the wire with both of those clubs.
4: What do you think the issue has been with Tottenham though, uh, Darren? Because have they hit the wall? Because the fullbacks aside, they've played literally the same team for the last six weeks. Or is that the issue actually? The fullbacks that they've got now... Are just not as good as the ones that they had a couple of weeks ago when Doherty was available for them, Reggion was more available for them on a regular basis.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Emerson Rell is just not good enough to be at Tottenham, and I don't yes. expect him to be there next <laughs> season. He's probably, he's, he's, I don't want to be too disrespectful about him, but I could, there were moments. Not the first in the game time you had a royal, stay.
4: though, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs>
2: So you were of a cheese. Um, yeah. I think as far as uh, he is concerned, his decision-making is poor. He's easy to mark out of the game. He has a mistake in him in every match. And uh, Conti simply doesn't trust him. Uh, also... Added to that, Brentford were never going to be easy to play against. We know about all the good results they've had this season, particularly at their own stadium. Teams have realised that if you drop deep and deny Spurs space in behind, they've got to find another way. And they struggle to do that. But I don't expect that to continue. Leicester play far more open. uh, They're a side that don't tend to park the bus. They go to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium next weekend. And Arsenal got a very tough trip to West Ham as well. So the picture, I've always described the top four, as you know, Sam, as snakes and ladders I know you're making that face but West Ham six changes to today
4: they got, got a tri- go, go to West Ham who are in the middle of a, a, an Eintracht Frankfurt semi-final Is that the easiest trip in the world another one for Lucky McHale mm,
2: not really because I think uh, the West Ham side that played today they were very unlucky to lose and well, I think well, the Dawson's
4: are, can't play next week so literally Masuaku Cresswell Sufal, they're going to play as the three centre-halves
2: yeah, but I think they played, I, listen, I was at a game, I can tell you they played well today. They might It might not have been spectacular, but they were organised, they frustrated Chelsea, and it, 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 basically six minutes from time, one mistake allowed Chelsea to get a foothold in but, a match, but okay. they played very well.
4: Let's talk about that game because Chelsea beat them by a goal to nil and it was pretty dull until six minutes from time uh, when Jorginho had his life saved by Captain America. Uh, Jorginho had to taken what can only be described as a pitiful penalty.
2: I thought it's you were going to say something else there.
4: <laughs> well, I, I would have done, but I probably would have sworn and then afterwards said, sorry, is it all right if I swear? Um, because I you know, work on the same logic as Scott McTominay. Uh, Craig Dawson sent off for denying Lukaku a goal-scoring opportunity. The rest of the game was pretty forgettable, but the pass, Kevin, from Marcus Alonso to set up
3: the winner was beautiful. Yeah, it's glorious. And that's what... Chelsea, when they're good under Tuckle, should be all about that wit that we've seen from the wing backs. And I think the injury to Ben Chilwell's really hurt them this season. Obviously, Reese James has been in and out. Uh, just on that Jorginho penalty, he's missed a few big ones now. I mean, you think about Italy not qualifying for the World Cup. I mean, that was down you know, to a lot of things, but one of the big factors was a couple of big penalties that he failed. Uh, at From the Spot, it was a dreadful penalty against West Ham. Missed one against England, of course, in that European Championship final. So uh, I think he's going to have to maybe review his technique. That hop, step and the jump isn't really working in the way that it was. Um, hey, but it was a strangely them, flat game.
4: Time to outlaw these stupid hop, skip and side foot penalty efforts, which are goalkeeper dependent. They know about them now. It isn't a secret. They watch videos of you. They research you. They've seen your last 20 penalties. They know you missed two crucial penalties against Switzerland and it cost you a place at the World Cup. They know you missed one in the European Championship final. They are going to psych you out. Fabianski is going to walk up to you just beforehand and go, I've seen you do this thousands of times. I know what your plan is. Clearly, Jorginho realises this. Just before he hits the ball, uh, the panic on his face as Fabianski stares him down and decides, actually, I ain't going anywhere, fella. So where are you going to put it now? And then surprise, shock, only a half tap of the ball and it dribbles into his arms. I mean, for God's sakes, the technique is done. Get rid of it. It can only ever be a surprise technique anyway. And the idea of developing it as your technique was always a bad idea because... You can never do it for a, a long period of time because it's very easy to read once you know what the plan is. And once people know, just stand there and wait
3: for them to kick it, th- 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 there's nowhere to go. Just well, think about Lewandowski, Sam. Think about the way Lewandowski takes his. He does a shuffle. It's not a jump. He does a little shuffle, but he doesn't have to smack the ball when he hits it. And that's the difference, because even if, if you're going to do a shuffle like that, you have to hit the ball hard, if it, you know, because then you take the goalkeeper out of it. If you do your shuffle, and even if the goalkeeper goes the right way, if you still smacked it into the corner, then you're fine. But if you're going to hit it at pretty low pace once you've done the jump, then you're in big trouble if the goalkeeper gets it right. Talking of low pace, what's happened to Chelsea, Darren? They look like an electric car that's running out of battery and can't
4: find a, a charging point anywhere. They, they've got range anxiety, haven't they? Why? Are, are the games catching up with them? What's happening?
2: Well, I think they're missing some leadership at the back. No, Antonio Rudiger, who confirmed he wants to leave the club. We'll find out in the next few days and weeks where he's going. Um, Trevor Chalaber's come in, but he hasn't played that much football of late and it shows. They do look a bit leggy. They did look like a side that were either waiting, I wrote in my match report, for the FA Cup final or even for the summer so they can get to the beach. They just didn't look like the Chelsea of old. But... And it's a big, but Tuchel defended them and said that it was a, de- you know, the way that they played was slow and deliberate. And although it might look quite um, apathetic, if you like, uh, to uh, out observers outside, they played that way uh, as a way of being able to get past a West Ham side that had set out to frustrate them. Make of that what you will. I'm not quite convinced. I was disappointed by what. I saw at Stamford Bridge and they're going to have to be better against Manchester United on Thursday night.
4: Okay, let's look at the rest of the weekend's matches starting at City.
0: Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
1: The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.
4: City five, Watford one. So City have now won the last 15 meetings in a row over Watford. That's never happened before in English football. It's a football first in this country. And they've done it, scoring 58 goals, conceding nine. It dates back to just before the in Shinawatra deal. But it's like they've decided Watford. When they play City, there's absolutely no point. The last few scores have been 5-1, 3-1, 8-0, 4-0 and 6-0. I mean, they've lost 25 games in all competitions this season, Watford. That is a remarkable achievement to lose that many games, Darren.
2: Yeah, it is. But then on the flip side, the model at Watford that everyone defended when they sacked Cisco and they sacked Gracia, and they sacked so many of the managers uh, and the Watford fans said, oh, no, we we know what we're doing. Well, it's coming back to bite them right now. I feel sorry for the fans, absolutely. But the owners uh, of Watford are getting what they deserve. because I mean, you could say stung them the, league, the Hornets. You could not <laughs> You're full of those jokes today, Sam. Uh, But you're absolutely right. Look, I think as far as Watford are concerned, and and every team that is in the Premier League is concerned, you need stability, you need an identity, you need an ethos. Watford simply collect players, hand them to a manager and say, make it work. And even if a manager manages to do that, they still get sacked. I think the way that they treated Cisco was disgraceful, threw him overboard at the first sign of trouble after he took them up. And now they're getting what they deserve. And I would imagine that he won't have too much sympathy. Uh, I certainly don't.
4: Um, you talk about what a football club needs to be successful being built on stability. Well, Manchester City have certainly got that. And in Kevin de Brunner, they have got one of the world's most remarkable players. His ball for the second goal is one of those where you just go, wow. I mean, I I, I think anybody could have scored it
3: because it was such a delicious delivery, Kevin. And that's what he's all about. And I go back to when he was at Wolfsburg uh, before he was at Manchester City and how good he was for them. And he was doing that game after game after game in the Bundesliga and he's just carried on at an even higher level. It's incredible consistency. It's not just the technique, it's the vision as well. I thought Gabriel Jesus was excellent and I think his journey at City has been really interesting because he's quite selfless, really. He does an incredible amount of work for the team. Pep Guardiola's used him in a wide role, sometimes through the middle, sometimes not. And Guardiola always speaks up for him in public, even when he's not getting the goals and maybe not having the best of performances. So he's clearly a valuable member of the squad. And I thought he was sensational, albeit against an atrocious Watford team. They are. They are atrocious. Uh,
4: Pep Guardiola's got a lot to uh, negotiate in terms of fixtures, and he won't tire of telling you that. Um, And and the numbers that he hasn't got. Stop, stop, stop. Uh, But I thought it was interesting that he was saying they do 10 or 15 minutes of actual work on the training field now, and that they just recover and socialise to maintain their camaraderie
2: in between games now, Darren. Yeah, because they have their training sessions against Watford. That's why, uh, because that's all that was at the weekend. It was so bloodless. Um, it was like a, a racehorse going past trees. Uh, and I think as far as City are concerned, they've been here before. They've got the experience. They've got the know-how. And the camaraderie is there too. I think with the top teams, all of us sympathize in some respects about the fixture congestion. We all know why that is do the we, case this year. Do we really yeah, really sympathize? I do. Yeah, do absolutely. We? Because you're still, listen, we are being entertained by top level sportsmen and we do want their well being to be prioritized. Absolutely. But haven't they got the bigger squads than they've ever it. had before? Well, absolutely, but they're competing on multiple fronts and it's a lot of games to be able to do that. Uh, Listen, the consistency level of City and United right now is better than any other pair of teams challenging for the title we've ever seen. Definitely mean Liverpool, not United.
3: Yeah, I was quite shocked there, Darren. (laughs) Sorry.
4: United (laughs) would love to be consistent like City. United are consistently bad. They're as consistently bad as City are good,
2: yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Can I start that one? I think we should
4: definitely leave that in. Yeah. That's got got clickbait written all over it.
2: Oh, yeah, well, quite. Listen, the consistency level of City and Liverpool is higher than we have ever seen in the Premier League. And they've needed squads to be able to do that, to manage that, to cope with the intensity of the games that they play in. And we are the beneficiaries because we are seeing... I mean, I've likened this title race to anything in any sport in terms of duels we've ever seen because it is that a high quality but to do that takes a huge amount of emotional intensity mental intensity as well as physical intensity so yeah i do have sympathy for city and for liverpool as well
4: i don't
2: i don't oh oh, good good good
4: Uh, i I thought i was just being harsh then no i I, I, I don't have i don't have sympathy for them
3: No, I think the quality of squad is is immense. It's just ridiculous. The, The amount of players that City and Liverpool can bring in. I think sometimes what we forget a little bit is that you can bring young players through. And Liverpool have done that. City have done that. You know, there are guys like Cole Palmer at City. Uh, We've seen Harvey Elliott do well, Curtis Jones at Liverpool. And I think sometimes we get obsessed with players that get brought into a squad. What about the players that you can develop yourself? And I think that has to be an element that we continue to focus on because you have to concentrate on that to a certain extent. And obviously the, the level might drop a little bit, But I don't think we should get the violins out for these top clubs. Yes, they have a lot of games to play, but it's a nice problem to have. And I do think if you're really struggling, well, you need to develop young players as well then. Um, One team who won't have to worry too
4: much about trying to entertain us next year and Norwich, to be honest, they didn't really worry about that this year either. Um, They're going to be relegated soon enough. They played Newcastle at the weekend. Newcastle certainly are going to stay up. They're not anywhere winning a title yet and might not be for a few years, but... Do you know what? They're going to have a say as to who might win it with their next two opponents, Kevin, being City and next Saturday live on TalkSport, Liverpool. Yeah, they're going right. to those matches
3: having won their last four and conceding once in that run. Yeah, you have to give Eddie Howe a huge amount of credit for the job that he's done. Obviously, it helped that he was able to spend a fair bit of money in the winter window and bring in a player of the quality of Bruno Guimaraes and I know he's only relatively recently sparkled but I think that is amazing to be able to bring a player of that quality into the relegation battle. Kieran Trippier coming in obviously certainly at the start uh, made a big difference but I think a player that's already there really caught the eye at the weekend and that was Joe Linton because there's a guy that has been revitalized by Eddie Howe arriving. I think Eddie Howe was realised what he is rather than what he isn't and trying to make him into something he's not. And he's somebody who... Can play. He's not an out-and-out striker. He is somebody that can operate a bit deeper, operate in tight spaces. He's somebody that's brilliant at pressing when he doesn't have the ball. And he can be a goal scorer, but he was never a regular goal scorer in Germany with Hoffenheim. He was this kind of unusual hybrid player. And I think because How has played to his strengths, he's starting to get the best out of him. You have to give him credit. Joel Inton for the way that he's gone away, really worked on his game. He's gone to Howe and said, look, what do you want me to do? How can I get better? How can I fit better into this team? And it'll be like having a new signing, I think, for next season, because they think he's really improved in the last few months.
4: Uh, There was a really interesting interview in The Telegraph, this game finished 3-0 to Newcastle, by the way, with Dean Smith this week, in which he discussed the predicament at Norwich, Mm -hmm. suggesting that it was the six defeats in a row over Christmas that had basically been the point of no return for the football club. He talked up the ownership and the sporting director, but... We have to see that interview through the prism of his job situation. He's going to big up the ownership. He's going to big up the sporting director. I don't think that they can say that any of their earnings over the course of the previous summer were a success. And the truth is, is they spent 50 million pounds, which was probably not enough Norwich, and they spent it badly. And although you can understand why they don't want to bankrupt the team, they didn't want to bankrupt the club. And I understand all the all, all the, the sort of excuses that they've come up with in, in why they have failed to be competitive. They still have to be held to account because when you look at Brentford, they've spent less and signed better. When you look at Palace, they've spent around the same amount, but spent better. And that must be acknowledged. And, and even other teams in and around that area, of the division have spent less than Norwich or similar sort of amounts and been more competitive. The Premier League is not a free hit and should never be treated as such, Darren.
2: I think you've hit the nail on the head. Not much for me to add. I think as far as Norwich are concerned, you can see why they're struggling to attract quality. They're a side whose whose ambitions have limitations and... um, What the future holds for them is aspiring to get back into the Premier League, take the money and don't spend very much of it and go back down again. I can't see how that could be a model that tells players that you are trying to bring to the club that you are anything more than a yo-yo club.
4: Leicester nil, Aston Villa nil. Not really much to talk about in this game. It was pretty boring. Jamie Vardy's return off the bench failed to inspire Leicester to victory as they were held to a drab goalless draw with Aston Villa. The striker made his second appearance since December after hamstring and knee issues. Um, Vardy's comeback as a second-half substitute offers them a huge boost, though, doesn't it? Going into the Europa League uh, conference semifinal against Roma on Thursday, Kevin.
3: Yeah, it does. And they're going to need... That attacking quality, that ability to stretch the Roma defence. I think Roma in the Conference League have certainly played very well. Tammy Abrahams loved that competition, scored lots of goals in it. And that's been part of what's been a remarkable season for him in general. Roma have got a bit of momentum, I think. So that's going to be a real test for Leicester. But I think one of the things they can take from the game against Villa is another clean sheet. Because for most of the season, they've been hopeless defensively. But Wesley Fofana coming back has made a big difference. They look a lot more solid. I think, if anything, they've gone the other way. And Brendan Rodgers has talked about that and said, we just don't look clinical enough in the final third. So you'd like to think that Jamie Vardy can actually add to that. I think it's a great semi-final for the competition. Because I think we've seen some great stuff in the Conference League with the smaller teams really benefiting, really enjoying that European adventure. But I think to have a real blue-chip tie in the semi-finals between a good Premier League team and you know one of the more notable Serie A teams, I think that's great for the tournament.
4: Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, Brighton 2, Southampton 2 was Sunday's other game and the last game that, that we've got for you uh, on this particular edition of the Game Day podcast. This was a terrific match right from the very start, mainly because of the mistakes, really. Uh, but opportunity comes from error, boys. Um, Forster and Salisu getting tangled from a cross inside 80 seconds that sets the tone. And Salisu kicks Forster in the head, which uh, then sort of disorientates him. And that's why Danny Welbeck can score. And then Salisu scores a ludicrous own goal. Um, and then Brighton, well, at this point, 2-0 up. And obviously... The oh, lights have gone out. We've obviously been waffling on far too long. All the lights in my little room here have gone out. i will just doing the yeah, dark. Absolutely. No worry about it. I don't mind it. I, you know, turn the lights down. gets a little bit romantic. Oh, Lucy's got a little bit of romantic music on. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that's a bit better. Can you just tell me it's, now is the time for love making, Darren? Can you do that? Just say it Just my ear. Just <laughs> Not, in, it, this on, Not it. in this
2: series. Not in this series. Just do it, Darren. Just say it to me. <laughs> Kevin, why don't you say it for I'm really series? scared. Yeah, so sure.
3: <laughs> um, sure, I don't know what's happening.
4: Yeah. Um, <laughs> should we go back to the Brighton major error, which was giving a free kick in what can only be described as the D the JWP zone, the the, the area in which James Ward-Prowse is definitely going to score from. It, it, it's his 14th direct Premier League free kick. Wallop. Game on at that point, and then inevitably that they're going to concede another one because Brighton just can't ever win at home. They haven't won since Boxing Day at home at the Amex Stadium. What is it that they don't
3: like about it, Kevin? They're such a strange team, aren't they? Because, you know, you look at some of their performances and they should get so much more out of them than they do. The fact that they just don't have consistent goal scorers, that doesn't help. And I just cannot work them out. Of all of the Premier League teams, Brighton are the one I find the most curious because the theory is if they had a really reliable goal scorer, Suddenly they take off, but I'm not entirely sure that that's actually going to be the case. Um, just about James Ward Prowse, by the way, I read a ridiculous stat that he's got the same number of free kick goals from the start of last season as the big six teams combined. It's utterly absurd. And what I loved about the free kick in this game was that he spotted the gap in the wall. Didn't try and absolutely hammer the ball. He just placed it in the bottom corner through the wall. So he has that mastery to be able to score different types of free kicks, let alone just one type. Darren, Kevin said that they're one of the
4: most sort of baffling sides, Brighton, but actually Southampton are a maddening team, aren't they? Because what happens to Ralph Harson, who wins the summer? Where, where, Where does he go with this group? They've got new owners, They've got a different sort of ownership model in that they're trying to build a sort of uh, a Red Bull 2 franchise arrangement with this new uh, Balkans owner. And They're capable of heroic runs, super results. They'll beat some of the big teams or stop some of the big teams from winning. And then they'll go. just Every now and again, they'll just go. They'll lose 9-0 and then they'll lose 6-0. And then they'll just go five games without a win. They've conceded two or more goals in 10 10- of the last 12 Premier League away games. You can't do anything if you always start 2-0 down.
2: Absolutely right. I think this is a Southampton side right now playing with their minds on the beach uh, because they pull off a wonderful result beating Arsenal and then they go and lose to Burnley and then they find themselves (laughs) two goals down, as you've been saying. To Brighton, I think there's a lack of concentration there. They do have quality when they choose to turn it on. But at the moment, they're really inconsistent. And when you ask where they go from here, actually, I would ask where does Hasenhutl go from here? Because I know he's a very ambitious man and there will be one or two clubs looking at him to see if he fancies a team with a little bit more quality and a bit more consistency. Uh, Right.
4: Um, Thank you very much turning up looking glorious uh, both of you we're back on uh, Thursday previewing all the weekend's footballing action download the podcast from the usual positions we've got live Champions League football on TalkSport on Tuesday and Wednesday night and then I'm going to West Ham on Wednesday and then Kevin we need to have a little chat because I'm going to Germany the week after and you? you need me just let me know what bars to go out to I mean sorry uh, a little bit more about Eintracht Frankfurt um, that's it from us Darren thank you very much Kevin thank you very much speak to you soon thank you much. thank you cheers